We turn with your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts chapter 10. We are going through our study of the book of Acts, and this morning we are in chapter 10. We'll be reading verses 1 through 28. Now there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. He was a devout man, one who feared God with all of his household. He gave many alms to the Jewish people and he prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come into him and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? He said, your prayers, your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He's staying with a certain tanner named Simon, uh, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had departed, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were uh, in constant attendance upon him. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And on the next day, as they were on their way, Approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He became hungry and he was desiring to eat, but while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance and he beheld the sky opened up and a certain object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures and birds of the air. And a voice came to him saying, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time and said, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, The men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Arise, go downstairs, accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. So Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, righteous, God-fearing man, well-spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house to hear a message from you. So he invited them in, gave them lodging. On the next day, they arose and went with them. Some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. And when it came about that Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. Peter said, stand up. I, too, am just a man. And he talked with him, and he entered. And he found many people assembled, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. 
So uh, the book of Acts gives us the birth of the church. We see the phenomenal growth of the church throughout the world. Multitudes of people are coming to Christ for two reasons. The baptism of the Holy Spirit upon the believers emboldened them, gave them a courage and a fearlessness. They talked to everybody about Jesus and the gospel was spreading everywhere. Also because of persecution, the believers were being scattered to other cities and they were taking the gospel with them everywhere they went. But primarily the gospel was spreading in Jewish communities because the Jews had come to believe that God's love and salvation was only for the Jews. So they didn't have a heart. They had, didn't have a vision of reaching out to the Gentiles. The word Gentile means any other race or nation other than the Jews in Israel. Now, God had instructed them several passages in both Isaiah and Jeremiah that Israel was intended by God to be a light to the Gentiles so that through the nation of Israel, the Gentile races and nations could come to know God and have a relationship with God. But they lost sight of that vision. They embraced a different vision. The Gentiles are ungodly. Of course they are. They don't know God, so they're not gonna live godly lives. But because they are immoral because they are morally depraved the Jews saw them as unclean therefore to have any contact with a Gentile to associate with a Gentile in any way was to become defiled and unclean yourself uh, Orthodox Jews would walk around with their robes tightly wrapped around their body lest they brush up against a Gentile because then they would be unclean they would have to go home and take a bath and burn their clothes they had come to believe that God created the Gentiles for the sole purpose of providing fuel for the fires of hell. Gentiles exist to keep hell hot. That was their mentality. And so no God-fearing Jew would ever have anything to do with a Gentile. And so the Jews had built these walls, these nationalistic man-made walls of hatred, racism, and bigotry. Chapter 10 is the account of the work of God in tearing down those walls. This is God's work of demolition. Those walls of racism, hatred, bigotry. It's time for them to come down. And God is gonna begin his work in the life of a man who is a Gentile. His name is Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion. Now the centurions were known for their courage and as men of strong character and integrity. You get to be a, a centurion when you have proved yourself in battle because a centurion had to stand with his men and, and fight no matter how badly they were outnumbered until he fell or until they were victorious. And so Cornelius command over 100 men, very important and powerful man. The word century means 100, so centurion command over 100 men. But he had come to know God. He had come to believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true and living God, creator of heaven and earth. Because at that time in history, many Romans were getting sick and tired of the worship of a multiplicity of gods. 
They were tired of it. There were gods for every aspect of nature. There were gods for every emotion. The God of love, the God of hate, the God of peace, the God of joy. There was the God of war. There was the gods and goddesses of fertility. They were tired of having to placate and appease and and worship all these different gods. And so many of them began to reason whatever God created the heavens and the earth. That's the true God. That's the God we want to know and worship. They didn't believe that matter created itself. They believed in a maker, a creator. And they discovered that that was the God of Israel, the very first verse of the Hebrew Scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, that's the true God. That's the God I want to know and worship. And so Cornelius was a devout man. It says he feared God. Now, that doesn't mean he was terrified of God because God's a monster. It's respect and reverence. He's God. He knows what he's talking about. I want to listen to him. I am fearful of the pain and brokenness that comes as a consequence of sin. I am fearful of the eternal consequences of sin. I'm going to reverence God. I'm going to listen to him. And that's what was in his heart, the fear of the Lord. He was a generous man. He was always giving alms to the Jewish people. But notice he was devoted to prayer. He was continually praying to God. Now, in the Jewish culture, devout Jews prayed three times a day. The third hour of the day was 9 a.m. because the Jewish day starts at 6 a.m. The third hour of the day, 9 a.m., time for prayer. Stop whatever you're doing. Get alone with God. Spend some time in prayer. The sixth hour of the day, noon, stop whatever you're doing. Get alone with God. Have some time of prayer. The ninth hour of the day, 3 p.m., stop whatever you're doing. Get alone with God and spend some time in prayer. Notice when Cornelius received the vision. It was the, it was the ninth hour of the day. And he was a man of prayer. That means he stopped 3 p.m. time for prayer. So it was during prayer that he receives this important vision from the Lord. Cornelius was walking in the light that had been given to him. Therefore, he is now going to receive more light. He understands who God is. He understands the old covenant the covenant relationship between God and his people based on the law of Moses, a relationship with God based on the works of the law. And so he was applying what he had learned about God from the scriptures, and he was walking in the ways of the Lord. Well, if you respond to the light that is given you, and you're using the knowledge of God that he has given to you, you're going to get more. If you're not going to use what God has revealed to you, why would he give you more? You're not going to use it anyway. But to him who has, more will be given. To him who doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away. God has given a person a certain knowledge of the things of God, but he doesn't care. He's not interested. He's not using it. He's going to lose it. He's going to, at some point, forget what God has revealed to him about himself. He's going to lose it. But to him who is using what he has, he's going to receive more. And because he's a devout man walking in the light that he's been given, he's going to get more light. He's going to get the understanding of how to receive forgiveness of sin and the free gift of eternal life and a place in heaven through faith in the Savior. 
So he's in prayer, the ninth hour. He has a vision. An angel of the Lord comes to him and instructs him to dispatch some men down to Joppa. Cornelius is in Caesarea. It's a seacoast town on the coast of the Mediterranean. 20 miles south, also on the seacoast, is a town called Joppa. Dispatch some men to Joppa. Send them to the house of a man named Simon who lives by the sea because staying with him is another man named Simon who's also called Peter. And what you are to do is to send for Peter. Have Peter come and bring to you a message from God. He's going to receive more light. He's going to receive more revelation. So, of course, he's obedient to the vision, and he sends the men. It's one day to two day trip. It's about 20 miles by foot uh, walking. But while they're on their way, Peter gets a vision. And what's Peter doing? At the sixth hour, which is noon, which is what? Hour of prayer. So what is he going to do? He's a devout man. He's devoted to prayer. He goes up on the rooftop of Simon's home. The rooftops were flat. They were used as patios. It's time for prayer. I'm going to go up on the rooftop and spend some time with the Lord. So again, it's while Peter is in prayer that he receives a vision. If we're not going to be men and women of prayer, we're not going to be receiving fresh vision from God fresh vision of his leading and guidance for our lives, fresh vision of the work that he has called us to do for him. Again, it's when Peter is in prayer that he receives a vision. He sees the sky open up, the sheet comes down, the four corners of the sheet come down. He sees all these different animals in the sheet and and, and many crawling creatures and, and birds. And some were clean and some were unclean, but he hears a voice that says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. By no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. There were some animals in that sheet that were in the list of Leviticus that God said, these are unclean animals you shall not eat. Not kosher. And I'm raised in a Jewish community, in a Jewish home. I've, I've never eaten anything unclean. And the voice comes back and says, whatever God has cleansed, you are no longer to consider unclean. And he, it says he's perplexed. What in the world does this vision mean? What what is the message here? He doesn't get it initially. But then the Spirit of the Lord speaks to his heart and tells him that there are some men that are on their way to get him and he is to go with them and accompany them because God says, I myself have sent them. So it's awesome because By the time the men arrive, Peter already knows they're coming, why they're coming, and he's supposed to go with them. And that reminds us that God works on both ends. It's an important biblical principle to understand. I remember uh, back in the 70s, uh, I was the young adults pastor uh, staff out at Costa Mesa, and this uh, young woman comes up to me after a Bible study, and she says, I just want you to know that I bought you a sailboat as a wedding present because God spoke to my heart that we were going to be getting married. And I'm so glad that I understood this principle and I didn't say, well, if God commanded it, then we better get married. I always want to be obedient. You know, do you have a date in mind? I said, that's great. As soon as God speaks that to my heart and reveals that to me, I'll give you a call. 
Because God works on, on both ends. If you, were, if you were getting involved in a ministry that you believe God had called you to and you needed some help, I guarantee you that at some point, somebody you ask for help is going to get all excited and say, oh my goodness, that's the very thing I've been wanting to do. I thought God was putting something like this on my heart, but I wasn't sure if it was from the Lord. And now this, it's just what a confirmation. If someone from the congregation, God spoke to me about your ministry, Brad, and he wants you to know he's calling you to the mission field. You're done here. God is calling you to Uganda. Now, I might say, really? Wow, that's so exciting because that's the very thing that's been on my heart lately. And I thought it might be from God, but I wasn't sure. And this just confirms that, honey, we're going to Uganda. Or I might say, that's great. As soon as God reveals that to me, as soon as God stirs up an excitement for that in my heart, then we'll sell everything and we'll pack up and we'll go. So remember the principle. God works on both ends. He's not going to reveal his will for your life to somebody else without also revealing it to you. So Peter gets uh, the vision. By the time these guys come, he already knows they're coming. He's just trying to figure out why. Because he knows the message he's supposed to bring to Cornelius from God has something to do with this vision. The sky opens up, the sheet comes down, the four corners of the sheet come down, and there's all these animals. Some are clean, some are unclean. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. No way, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unclean. So it's, it's kind of mind-boggling for Peter because there are certain animals, certain meat represented in that sheet <laughs> that his whole life he's been told in the scriptures he's not to eat. So something major is changing here. And what's changing is the old covenant is being replaced by the new covenant. God promised through the prophet Jeremiah they would replace the old covenant, the covenant of the Mosaic law, a relationship with God based on the works of the law, based on works of righteousness. Well, that covenant is going to be replaced by a new covenant, a relationship with God based on grace, not works, based on grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So certain things about the old covenant are going to change, particularly the ceremonial law. For example, there's, there's, there's no more need for animal sacrifices after Christ has come. The animal sacrifices picture Christ, represented Christ. They were a foreshadowing of Christ. The innocent being slain on behalf of the guilty so the guilty could be pardoned and forgiven. That's a picture of Christ. So, when Christ comes, the true Lamb of God, to make the final sacrifice for sin, there's no need for animal sacrifices, which is why God allowed the temple to be destroyed. There have been no animal sacrifices for 2,000 years because what they pictured has now been fulfilled. So it's the same with unclean food. What was the purpose for unclean food? The unclean animals represented the unclean Gentiles. You're not supposed to partake of foods that are unclean. You are not supposed to learn the practices of the godless. You're not to learn their ways and walk in their ways. The unclean food was a representation of the unclean Gentiles. But Peter figured it out on the road, because by the time he got to the house of Cornelius, he knew what the vision meant, so he knew what the message was. 
He figured it out. We are no longer to look at the Gentiles as fuel for the fires of hell, as immoral and so ungodly that God could not possibly love them, could not possibly forgive them, could not possibly want them in heaven. From now on, you're going to look at the Gentiles, though they be godless, as people that God loves. He loves them every bit as much as he loves you, his Jewish children, his chosen people. Jesus died for them as, as much as he died for you. No longer look at the Gentiles as hopeless, without God and without hope in the world. No longer look at the Gentiles as, as irredeemable. And by the way, no longer look at yourself that way. And keep this in mind when you're ministering to people who have been lied to by the evil one, the father of lies, and they honestly feel God could po not possibly love someone like me. God could not possibly forgive someone like me. God could not possibly want someone like me to think that I could ever be accepted by God into heaven. I'm just kidding myself. And we minister to them, no. He loves you every bit as he, much as he loves any other sinner. The wall is coming down. The dividing wall is coming down in the love of Jesus Christ because we are all equally loved. God is no respecter of persons. The wall of prejudice and bigotry and hatred and racism comes down in the love of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2. Those who were far off, he has brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. He has made the two groups into one, for he has broken down the barrier of the dividing wall. The love of Jesus Christ is the end of hatred. Hate is replaced with love. Everyone is equally loved by God. So it doesn't matter the language that they speak. It doesn't matter the color of the skin. Jesus died for them as much as he died for you and for me. They're members of the human race. As believers, they're members of the family of God. They're his children. They're our brothers and sisters. It's the love of Christ that breaks down the wall of, of bigotry and, and racism, which is what is tearing apart our country right now. But the answer is not found in government, is it? Government is established by God. It's ordained. It's a sacred institution of God for man's safety, protection within our society. You need that branch of government that establishes laws for our protection, but then you need that branch of government that enforces those laws because it doesn't do any good to have laws if they're not enforced. But there's this hatred toward this sacred institution of God. Government officials, law enforcement officials are ministers of God on our behalf according to Romans 13. So is the answer to the problem of hatred and racism in the world, is the answer more hatred? The hatred of law enforcement the hatred of police, of course there's some bad cops. There's, there's a small percentage of hateful racist people 
in society. So there's going to be a small percentage of hateful racist cops. But you don't look at government officials and say, well, there's some corrupt officials, so we're going to do away with government. Well, there's a few corrupt police, so we're going to do away with police. That's the spirit of Antichrist, anti-God, anti-Bible. It is the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. Let's defund and dismantle the police force. No, no. That has been established by God for our well-being, our safety, and our protection. The answer to the problem is found in the person of Jesus Christ and in the love of Jesus Christ. So if this nation is going to be healed, it is because God's people, the church, believers all across this nation are going to be devoted to prayer. One time a day with God in prayer is minimum. A devout Jew spent three times each day with the Lord in prayer. Remember the story of Daniel. Because he was following the Jewish custom. Getting alone with God once a day for prayer is minimum for us. And as we devote ourselves to prayer, God is faithful to provide fresh vision for his leading and direction in our lives. How to serve him. The work that he has called us to do. And we will be continually fired up, engaged in the work of the Lord, like the early church, talking about Jesus with everyone. This nation is chronically sick spiritually. God can heal this nation. He wants to, and he will if, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Turn from their evil ways. I will forgive their sins, and I promise you I will heal their land. And that was the message he got from the vision. He enters the house of Cornelius. That's the proof that he understood the vision. He never would have done that before. He would never enter the house of a Gentile and defile himself in that way. But he understood the message, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unclean. He walks into the house. Cornelius bows before him. Peter says, no, don't do that. That's worship. You bow before God. You only worship God. I'm just a man like you. That's a reminder to us. Not to ever be guilty of that. God created us for worship. He created us with a need for worship, a desire to worship. So if we don't have God in our lives, we don't want God in our lives, we're going to worship. But if it's not God, we're going to worship people. We are going to idolize people, celebrities that we idolize Athletes who are superstars that we idolize. Fortune 500 CEOs or multi-billionaires we idolize. The word idol, idolize comes from the word idol, which means a false god. And we don't want to give that kind of worship to anyone. And we never want to receive it for ourselves, no matter how successful we are, no matter what great things we have accomplished. If someone wants to idol, idolize you and lift you up, 
like you're better than or above other people. Don't you receive it. When it comes, you point your finger to heaven. You don't have to say a word. Just point your finger to heaven. That's letting them know any good thing that comes out of my life came from God. I was born with a certain intelligence level. I was born with certain gifts and talents. God is the one who opened doors and gave me opportunities that other people more talented than me never got. All the praise and glory and honor goes to him. Peter said, no, don't do that. He knew if he received that worship, he would lose his ministry. God can only use us when we remain humble. That's why God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. Paul understood it was to keep me from exalting myself. Paul, because of his background, was prone to pride. If he were to let that happen, he would lose his ministry. He would be disqualified from ministry. He would be put on the shelf. Don't give that kind of uh, idolization to anyone and don't receive it from anyone. You stand up. I'm just a, a man like yourself. And here's the message that God had you send for me to bring. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. God's love is for the Gentiles. Jesus died for you as much as he died for anybody else. You can be forgiven of your sins. You can be saved. You can have the gift of eternal life. And they did receive and They did believe. And at the end of the passage, which Eric went over for us on Wednesday night, God poured out his spirit. Cornelius had invited a bunch of friends and relatives to hear this message of God from Peter. And God just baptized them all in the Holy Spirit. And they were speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit were being manifest. So Peter stood back and said, see what I told you? Can anyone refuse water for these to be baptized? Has God made it pretty clear? He loves the Gentiles too. Jesus died for the whole world. Didn't God promise Abraham all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through your seed? So, chapter 10. The tearing down of the wall, man-made wall of hatred, racism, and bigotry through the gospel, through the love of Jesus Christ. And to get this message out, to bring revival to this land, we're going to have to be men and women of prayer because that's when we receive fresh vision from God. And without vision, the people perish. If we're lacking in prayer, we're going to be lacking in vision. And without vision, the people perish. Let's pray.